Welcome to all talks of the First World Sepsis Congress. My name is Marvin and over the next two hours we will discuss patient safety and quality improvement part two. Please keep in mind to use the chapter markers if you want to listen to one specific speaker. If you want to see the slides of the speakers, please go to YouTube and search for First World Sepsis Congress. Now let me hand it over to our colleague Giorgio Tulli from Italy to get the session going. Welcome from Florence, Italy, and from Dr. Pulli, to all speakers of this session, of uh, the seventh session of this uh, first World Sepsis Congress, and to the audience all over the world. First, I want to thank all organizers of this important Congress, but in particular, Professor Reiner, who had the extraordinary vision to call all the world, the first, the second, and the third, to fight against sepsis, a sort of renaissance of medicine. Thank you. I want to introduce the first speaker of this session on passion, safety, and quality improvement, that is Dr. Harvey Lander. Avilanda is currently director between the flag, sepsis and medication safety at the Clinical Excellence Commission in Sydney, Australia. It's night now. In this role, it is responsible for supporting clinicians and health services to improve the quality and safety patient care across approximately 200 hospitals and health facilities. works a lot. He has a long experience in medical services, in clinical governance, and especially in passion safety. Please, Dr. Lander. Thank you very much for this opportunity to share some of the work from Australia and the SEPSIS Skills program. The Clinical Excellence Commission is, works in the New South Wales health system and its vision is to provide the safest and highest quality care for every patient. Through leadership in quality and safety, through increasing the reliability of healthcare systems, and also through building a culture built on improvement and supporting clinicians and hospitals. And I wish to recognise all the clinicians and the hospitals that have contributed to improving the management of sepsis. New South Wales is approximately 7.5 million people. The Clinical Excellence Commission receives um, data from hospitals and, and serious adverse events. And the genesis of this work came from 2008 and 2009 when New South Wales noticed it was no different to the rest of the world. There was increasing incidence of sepsis, which was associated with significant morbidity and mortality. Through the serious adverse events, what we call SAC1s and deaths, there was a recognition that as a failure to respond and also detect uh, sepsis appropriately. And so, in addition to this, we also noticed that there was a failure to manage the ongoing care uh, appropriately in, in our hospitals. And also, importantly, there was a failure to see sepsis as a time-critical illness. So what do we do about it? Well, in 2011, we introduced the Sepsis Kills Program. On the back of some other work we'd done in terms of building the reliability of systems through the deteriorating patient safety net system that we 
developed in 2010. The Sepsis Skills Program was predicated on three important things. It was to recognise the risk factors, signs and symptoms of sepsis and inform senior clinicians. To resuscitate with rapid, appropriate antibiotics and IV fluids within one hour and to refer to specialist care and initiate retrieval if needed. Because our remit was across so many hospitals, both very large tertiary to the smallest centres in our rural locations, we needed to think carefully about the implementation of the program. Much of our work, our initial work, was based on the international guidelines for the management of severe sepsis and septic shock. In terms of sepsis skills timeline, I have here on the demonstrating the initial rollout in 2011, which was in the adult emergency departments, initially with a few pilot hospitals and then up to 50 hospitals. That progressed to 2013 when the paediatric emergency departments implemented across the state. In 14, when we actually rolled it out across the inpatient settings, both in adult and paediatric facilities. And more recently, over the last year or two, we've developed specific guidance for maternal and newborn pathways for managing sepsis. And this year, we've revised our pathways to assist clinicians. As I briefly mentioned earlier, Between the Flags, which was also a statewide initiative, was developed and rolled out in 2010, just before sepsis kills, on the understanding that we wish to improve the early recognition response to clinical deterioration and reduce potentially preventable deaths and serious adverse events in patients who receive their care in New South Wales public hospitals. Because the primary factor for, 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 for death and poor outcomes related to deterioration, this was something we had to do and consider right across the system. Both programs, Between the Flags and Sepsis, used the implementation model that was based on a multivalence strategy, with governance and leadership being crucial at all levels, from the, from the ministry, the central agency, CEC, but importantly from the local hospitals and the cluster of hospitals. We recognised that leadership was crucial at, at, by frontline clinicians, department heads in hospitals and the like as well. In addition to the overarching governance, which saw uh, establishment of various committees and various processes to support the clinicians, we were de developing and have refined standard clinical tools to assist in ensuring the improved reliability of care. The clinical emergency response system was also something very crucial, and we, that was rolled out across all hospitals as well. Education and evaluation were the fourth and fifth elements. Very important that we assist clinicians. The Clinical Excellence Commission undertakes site visits and part of this rollout saw uh, many visits to many hospitals to talk with clinicians and hospital executives about how to optimise the local uh, uh, implementation given the varied facilities we were supporting. In terms of the evaluation, whilst we were measuring the sepsis uh, time to antibiotics within one hour, we were also measuring the rate of rapid responses and cardiac arrests across the system. And over that period of time, the last five years, we've seen a pleasing increase in the rep response rate and a significant reduction in cardiac, in cardiac arrest rate. 
just recently, we've also, our partners, research partners, have published in recitation a journal demonstrating that there's been a 20% reduction in low mortality DRGs over the period of time after the implementation of Between the Flags. In terms of the standard clinical tools, the pathways we developed um, with the clinicians leading and providing advice over the last five years aren't seen to be prescriptive because clinical judgment is considered key. However, they include the necessary initial uh, bundle of care for sepsis. And more importantly, uh, and on, in an ongoing fashion, we've developed um, more recently tools that assist the ongoing management of sepsis once the patient is admitted to the hospital for the first 48 hours. The reason we did this is because we noticed that the ongoing management needed to be improved and because of the feedback we got as, as we were trialling and testing in the hospitals over the last few years, that, that we needed to review a number of issues um, and to ensure that the ongoing management was improved and patients' deterioration uh, was detected and treated. The very significant um, actions that we took included the responding to the bundle six actions, keeping it simple, and all these elements of oxygen, lactates, blood cultures, antibiotics, fluids, and monitoring reassessment were actually embedded in the clinical pathways that the clinicians could use, uh, and that actually helped, uh, has helped with reliability. We developed significant education resources with clinicians at the fore presenting on a matter of things in terms of deterioration, uh, sepsis, videos, and other materials uh, that, that could assist um, clinicians, particularly junior staff, in terms of providing education. And we've made this readily, readily available, and we've had thousands upon thousands of staff who have accessed, assessed them and provided feedback and, and got benefit from them. In terms of evaluation, whilst initially we were looking at time to antibiotics, IV antibiotics in the first hour, we all, um, as well as uh, second litre of commensurate of IV fluids, we actually then decided to focus primarily on IV antibiotics, which was um, provided to us in a voluntary sepsis database. And from this database over the years, um, you can see that we've had significant improvements in the time to the first antibiotics. So that 80% of patients are getting their antibiotics within two hours and significant proportion within the first hour. We published our work in the Medical Journal of Australia at the start of this year, looking at the two years before the rollout of sepsis kills and the two years after. And this demonstrated a very pleasing reduction in mortality from 19.3 to 14.1%, a reduction in the time in, in intensive care and also a reduction in the mean length of stay. Subsequent to this, we've also looked at the data for 2014 and 2015, and this um, demonstrated that we continue to have a reduction in mortality. No matter how we cut the data, whether we looked at ICD-10 coding uh, principle only or all um, secondary uh, di um, coding diagnoses, it demonstrated that we continue to have a downward trend in the order of about 13% uh, mortality from all from all sepsis.
So what are some of the lessons that we've learned over this time? Well, we know that earlier identification and treatment is crucial to, to getting good outcomes with sepsis. We also know that early senior medical review of patients prevents poor outcomes, and we've seen that time and time again with our SAC1 or serious uh, adverse um, outcomes and deaths. We've gained an appreciation that the inpatient setting in our hospitals need to have more focus. And this year we focused on integrating with antimicrobial stewardship. And we've taken the feedback to ensure that our pathways and our messaging about sepsis includes the fundamental importance of choosing the correct antibiotics initially, to ensuring that we take appropriate cultures and that we follow up uh, with the antibiotic and, and results of the cultures at an appropriate time. We know that the importance of leadership, clinical leadership in the inpatient setting, given its complexity and various clinicians' input, uh, is also very important. We've also been watching the rapid response team and the system that we've developed over New South Wales and the critical role that that can play, particularly where patients' observations stray and the observation charts uh, require the frontline clinicians to call for help and the intensive care unit uh, responds to the ward. We've also addressed the, some of the unintended consequences of the program, ensuring the appropriate cultures are taken, the antibiotics are appropriate, and that we continue to follow up the patient once they arrive on the ward, because we know that that's a particular risk when they're not in the emergency department and they may not be in the intensive care unit and they may not be monitored as closely. In the end, we know that all improvement is local. The criticality of the hospital leadership both the executive, the directors, the senior clinicians, and the governance and resource availability is crucial. If we focus on improvement and we use methodology, we believe that we can improve the reliability of the bundle of care, that measurement, which, which senior, as we know, doctors particularly, and other clinicians respond to data, and that measurement is undertaken locally, and that the hospitals look at their, their cases, reviewing where they can make improvements. And the frontline clinicians um, take ownership of that process and teams are focused on improving care. We know if we can do these things, that will provide uh, in continuing uh, um, capacity to make improvements in the care of the patients yet to come into our system. I'd just like to acknowledge all the staff in New South Wales who have contributed, the patients who have been part of videos and the carers and who have told their stories. Thank you. Thank you, Harvey. Thank you, Harvey. There is a question, there is a question for you. I am a CNS in emergency in district hospital four years down the track, and we have had a fantastic success in reducing time to first antibiotic using the sepsis skills program. However, I am still meeting with resistance from some, some doctors to using the pathway. Can you offer some suggestion as how to convince these team members of the benefit of the pathway? 
Yes, that, that's a very good, very good question. And yeah, my advice would be that in terms of engaging doctors, clinical, clinical medical engagement is very important. And that uh, we, in our program, we usually have clinician experts and clinician leaders uh, in, in, in hospitals who are convinced of the importance of a way uh, approaching sepsis in a reliable fashion using tools and resources. So the most important thing is to have clinical champions and to have the executive support. And doctors respond to, to um, data and to evidence. And that if you can demonstrate in locally that the benefits are to the patient of ensuring that reliability of the initial care for sepsis that we know is evidence-based um, and producing uh, better outcomes. And so we can use the literature. The Clinical Excellence Commission, I'd also say, is always available and willing to assist and um, to have conversations with, with, with clinicians, particularly in smaller places where there, there isn't necessarily the breadth or the depth or the numbers of, 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 of senior doctors. Uh, so this this is important. I think I, we would always make that um, offer um, available for us to, to visit should that be required. But essentially it's important to get an, at least one or two senior doctors who are very supportive uh, of impro making improvements. And if you can measure locally what you're doing and you can demonstrate that you're making improvements both to what the care you're providing reliably but also to patient outcomes, then that will speak, uh, help to speak for itself. I want to introduce the, the second speaker, Kevin Rooney. Kevin Rooney was appointed as a consultant in intensive care and anesthesia at the Royal Alexandra Hospital in Pesley in July 2003. And for, from 2009 and 2011, he was the lead clinician in critical care for Greater Glasgow and Klein Health Board. His professor care improvement at the Institute of Healthcare Policy and Practice with the University of West of Scotland. is a fellow of the Scottish Passion Safety Program and the founding member of the Quality Initiative in the Health Foundation and National Health Service. Please, Kevin, your presentation. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Tully, and I'd like to thank the Global Sepsis Alliance for allowing me to uh, share my learning uh, with regards to how we've tackled sepsis in Scotland. So the first thing to say is that uh, since 2008, we have had a very strategic approach to, to Scot uh, safety in Scotland. It started off with the Scottish Patient Safety Programme, which was a collaboration with the Institute of Healthcare Improvement in the United States. And we focused initially on uh, four work streams, namely critical care, general ward, perioperative, uh, and leadership. But we quickly realised that actually we need to spread it elsewhere and into a, a greater compartmentalisation. So it's split up into the acute adult programmes, which I'm one of the clinical leads for, the child and maternal health programme, eh, a primary care programme eh, and a mental health programme. And our sepsis work eh, has been part of the acute adult programme. So how did we know that actually sepsis was, was worthwhile uh, tackling within the United Kingdom? 
Well, what we did was uh, we reviewed the UK NHS database of all adverse events uh, that resulted in the reported death of a patient for the period of June 2010 uh, to October 2012. And this has accounted for over 2,000 deaths. Uh, each incident or event was reviewed by two authors and they scrutinised the information uh, and a main reason for the harm to these patients was, was, was identified and recorded. Uh, and actually there was six uh, areas of apparent systemic failure, but the, the commonest reason for an adverse event that resulted in patient death was mismanagement of patient deterioration, and that accounted for about 35% of all the safety-related death themes. Uh, and actually 23% was actually uh, due to failure to act or recognise deterioration within a septic patient. So we realised that, uh, that this was a common cause of death in the United Kingdom and was something that we really needed to focus on if we were, if we were to achieve our ambitions of reducing mortality in Scotland. So uh, we... Uh, got a group together uh, and we essentially developed a change package. This is our sepsis driver diagram which we created, which shows uh, that uh, our aim was to reduce mortality from sepsis uh, by 10% by December 2014 and the programme started in January uh, 2012. A driver diagram is a useful tool because it lets you understand your, how your system works and as a result how you can uh, uh, identify any changes you need to make and a measurement plan. So we realised that if we were uh, really going to be able to improve outcomes from sepsis, we needed to, to focus on five big pieces of work. And these were our primary drivers, which were reliable recognition and assessment of the septic patient, uh, reliable care delivery of the septic patient, uh, and education and awareness, because like Harvey in, in the Clinical Excellence Commission, we found that there was a great deal of lack of knowledge of why we should do things. And then we also needed to focus on our culture to one that was of safety and quality improvement. And then last but not least, we felt it was important to involve the patient and their family uh, in, in the change package and in, the, in their improvement as well. So what we did was we, we followed the Breakthrough Series Collaborative Model as advocated by IHI, uh, and I've likened this in the past to, to climbing Mount Everest. What you do is, is you do some pre-work. It lets you understand your system. So what is the incidence of sepsis? Does it cause issues in your healthcare system? Uh, and what is the mortality and what is your processed measures? So we did that. We developed the framework and changes like you saw in the driver diagram. And then what we had was we had learning sessions every six months where we invited teams from every hospital in Scotland uh, where we would teach them about quality improvement methodology and how to improve things as well as uh, about subject matter expertise about sepsis. As I said, the learning sessions happened every six months, and in between the learning sessions uh, was the action period. Uh, in the action period, what we wanted the team to do was go back, share what they'd learned at the learning sessions with the other teams, uh, and then adapt things to their own local context through the use of the, the model for improvement and the plan, do, study, act cycle. 
So we didn't exactly tell people what they had to do, but, but we, we, we followed, gave them some guidance uh, and encouraged them to adapt it to their own local context. Because the recognition of someone who developed sepsis in the acute medical unit or, or the ED uh, is completely different from uh, a patient who may be in the long-term elderly care ward. During the action periods as well, we facilitated things by having monthly WebEx calls, which then moved to every second month, and we also had site visits where we visited every hospital in Scotland uh, twice a year uh, to support the teams. This worked as part of a carrot and stick approach that encouraged people to do the work because they knew we were arriving, but also it was an opportunity for us to share the learning that we knew and we'd seen from other organisations and other hospitals within NHS Scotland. We followed what we call the spreading inkbot strategy, which is based on uh, areas, uh, based on military tactics. And what you have is you've got small areas of good practice, like the acute medical unit or the ED. Rather than try and make the hospital reliable straight away, we said focus on the acute medical units and the EDs first of all. Once the, your sepsis recognition and treatment process is reliable there, then spread to the acute surgical wards, the medical wards and then to the rest of the hospital. If you do that in each hospital, you've suddenly got a reliable AMU and ED, then a reliable hospital. Then if every hospital does it, you'll hopefully have a reliable country which is what's been our aim with regards to sepsis recognition. So one of the challenges with sepsis is that there is no pattern recognition. It's not like stroke or myocardial infarction, eh, which has got a very simple pattern recognition. The signs and symptoms are very vague and non-specific. Cough, headache, myalgia, fever, eh, diarrhea and vomiting. This could be anything. We also recognise for some of our baseline work that some of the cardinal signs and symptoms like low systolic blood pressure eh, and higher low temperature was only present on 30 to 40% of occasions. Eh. So as a result, we need to make it easy to do the right thing and make it easy for our teams to identify the septic patient. And we did this through the implementation of a national early warning scoring system which was designed by the Royal College of Physicians in London, eh, where you have six vital signs parameters and a, and a seventh one for eh, whether you're getting any oxygen. And you score from zero to three, it gives you a score from zero to 20. We realised that when the early warning scoring system triggers from low, medium and high clinical risk, what that means is the patient has organ dysfunction and this is an ideal opportunity as when to screen for sepsis. How did we know that the, the early warning scoring system worked? Well, some, from some publications and resuscitation, they'd found that the national early warning system had a greater uh, ability to discriminate patients at risk of combined outcome of cardiac arrest, unanticipated ICU admission, or death within 24 hours, and it was actually better than the 33 other early warning scoring systems. We took the, the, the National Early Warning Scoring System and actually we validated it in the emergency department to show that it actually can be used uh, instead of the Manchester triage system to identify sick patients within the EDs. And last but not least, due to the realisation that a septic patient doesn't just present 
present at the front door of the hospital if they become unwell at home, uh, we validated the National Early Warning Scoring System in the pre-hospital setting. No matter how you looked at it, an elevated news, whether it would be in the hospital or pre-hospital setting, was associated with increased levels of adverse outcome, uh, increased organ dysfunction, and was a natural opportunity to screen for sepsis. Uh, we screened for sepsis initially by looking for two or more modified SIRS criteria, uh, and then asking the question, could this be due to infection? However, over time, we have realised, actually, that you don't need to look for the modified SIRS criteria because chances are they've already triggered as part of the early warning scoring system. And we just need to look at the... Uh, we just need to look at whether this, the question is, could this be due to infection? Like Harvey, we then go on to deliver the sets of six. We felt no need to ask for people to do a complex critical care intervention like the three to six or sepsis bundles. If you can't do six simple things well, you're not going to be able to do that. So we asked them to deliver oxygen, take blood cultures and consider source control, give the IV antibiotics according to local protocol, give IV fluids and reassess, check a lactate and commence accurate urine output all within the hour. Due to the success of this programme, it spread from just the acute adult, general adult population to the maternal improvement programme due to the realisation that the leading indirect cause of maternal mortality is sepsis. It spread to the pre-hospital setting with the sepsis sex, sepsis screening happening in the pre-hospital setting, and it spread to paediatrics as well. How did we know that we're doing the right thing? Well, everyone will be aware of the process in their eyes studies, and some people could say they were negative uh, sepsis studies. Actually, I agree with this accompanying editorial to the process trial, which says that, that these studies identifies early recognition of sepsis, early administration of antibiotics, early adequate volume resuscitation, and adequate circulation. It's what we should focus on to save lives. So how has this happened? Well, what has been the results? So as you can see here, the number of patients since January 2012 that have been getting IV antibiotics within an hour of time zero is up about 80%. If you look then at the sepsis six care bundle, where it's an all or none, so you have to do all six things or you fail, it's up about 80% as well. So these increases in process measure have they made an, an improvement in outcome. And as you can see, uh, we've followed 30-day mortality and we've looked at the ICD-10 diagnosis for A40 and A41. And that was purely because ICD-10, our codes weren't out there when we started the programme. And our sepsis mortality has gone from 24.8 to 19.5% uh, mortality, which is a 21% relative risk reduction uh, in sepsis mortality. We likened uh, our breakthrough series collaborative to, to climbing Mount Everest. So I, as many people in Scotland, would like to finish up with a, a quote from Sir Edmund Hillary. And he said that, I'm a lucky man, I've had a dream, and it has come true. And that is not a thing that happens often to me. Thank you. Thank you to you, Kevin. I have a couple of questions for you, my questions. 
do you think that the teamwork culture is sufficiently developed by university education in medicine? And the second question, it seems that after the success in compliance of sepsis 6 and in compliance of, of your program or your pathway of sepsis 6 and one hour antibiotic administration from 2013, the mortality remains stable in between 15% and 20%. Do you think you can do better or not? And this is linked with another question that I read. Are, the, are you using endotoxin absorber? If not, why? So new, new kind to interpret sepsis. Please, Kevin. Okay. So, so I'll, I'll try and answer your, your second question because we've forgotten the first one. But, but certainly, yes, there has been a plateauing with reduction in sepsis uh, mortality. However, I still think there, there is room for improvement. One of the unintended consequences uh, of this has been actually uh, a, fo a focus of work around patient deterioration, much like Harvey has had in, in, in New South Wales and Australia. Uh, and we, we call that the, the, the four R's of deteriorating patient. We need to recognise them, we need to rescue them, we need to review them, and we then need to go on and refer them. So we initially thought that this was just about sepsis, but it's actually about providing a structured response to a deteriorating patient. Uh, so uh, that's how I think we will get to the, to the next level uh, of a reduction in the sepsis mortality. Uh, with regard to things like endotoxin absorbers, we, we have deliberately stayed away from complex critical care interventions. I'm an ICU doctor, but I don't think the, the problem of sepsis mortality needs solved by critical care. I think it needs solved. By the time it gets to us, it's too late. So I think what we need to do uh, is encourage uh, the emergency departments and acute uh, medical units, and they're the people that can really reduce the incidence of sepsis and, and reduce mortality, because by the time it gets to, to us in ICU, uh, the horse is bolted. Thank you, Kevin. And I introduce uh, the... Thank you, Kevin. I introduce the, the third speaker, Giulio Toccafondi from Florence is a patient safety and quality manager at the Clinical Risk Management Center of the Tuscany region. He co-chaired the Health Ergonomics Technical Committee of International Ergonomic Association and developed the multifaceted skill set of improving patient safety in healthcare activities. He holds a PhD in human factor and a degree in media science and cognitive ergonomics. And Giulio Toccafondi, the, the, the presentation is the role of human factor in fighting against sepsis. Please, Giulio. Thank you. I wish to thank the organizer and I wish to thank uh, Giorgio, Giorgio Tulli and Marvin Zick and Conrad uh, Reinert for uh, this uh, interesting and global, uh, global event. As you all know, SEPS is a real challenge for healthcare system worldwide as we need to transform this challenge into an opportunity for improving healthcare systems. And the factors which enable a response to sepsis are the same which make the healthcare system safer and resilient. 
there are three sepsis challenges we need to consider really carefully. Sepsis is difficult to diagnose. The identification of sepsis requires expertise and training, and it can be confused with a constellation of other clinical signs and symptoms. Challenge number two, sepsis is difficult to locate. As far as we know, everyone can develop organ dysfunction in consequence of an infection. Therefore, risk stratification is not straightforward as for other time frame pathology, such as heart attack and stroke. And the third challenge, if not timely recognized, sepsis is difficult to manage because it is time dependent and every hour spent outside of a safe and validated sepsis pathway increases the mortality of the 8%. So, the challenges of sepsis are complex and cannot be solved by a single individual or isolated group of single sectors of the healthcare organization. In order to respond to such complex challenges, we need to address comprehensively comprehensively the whole organization, the overall organization, and not just and not just the care unit. More specifically, we need to consider the interaction between the individuals and the groups within the organization. We need to consider how the healthcare workers interact with each other and how they interact with the, with the interfaces, the system interfaces, and how they communicate with each other, with the patients, and with the caregiver. So in this situation, the network is more powerful than the single node, and in order to fight against sepsis, we need not just a single node producing information, but a whole network generating knowledge. Human factors and ergonomics is the scientific disciplines concerned with the understanding of interactions among humans and other elements of a system. And human factors developed since uh, World War II and started to consider how to design high-craft technologies in order to enhance human skills rather than hinder them. And when the technological advances outpaces the ability of people to adapt and compensate to poor design, human factor became a fundamental asset for system design. The ability of human being is not enough to compensate and adapt to complex challenges. We need to design complex systems in order to support and enhance human ability. And we have to design healthcare systems which facilitate the healthcare workers in the identification and treatment of sepsis. As you know, human factors and ergonomics underpins today patient safety. This is because human factors can mitigate human frailties and can enhance human performance and reduce medical error and its consequences. For example, through learning and reporting systems, error can be transformed in resources for improvement. Moreover, human factors, by focusing on the interaction 
and by enlarging the focus, make it possible to contextualize human behavior and understand it. We cannot change human behavior, but we can change the condition in which human beings work, as was said by Reason in 2003. So if we consider sepsis with the lenses of the human factors, we can transform the three challenges of sepsis in the three opportunities of sepsis. The opportunity number one is care coordination through the design of a multidisciplinary sepsis pathway addressing the whole organization. Opportunity number two, promoting training for individuals focused on the situational awareness. And opportunity number three, enabling teamwork and communication across different team disciplines and levels of care, enabling collaboration. The three opportunities should be pursued in parallel in order to have a multi-pronged approach on the organization. Starting from opportunity number one, we should ask ourselves some questions. For example, are the healthcare organization ready for activating a multidisciplinary sepsis pathway? Probably we need to assess if the different disciplines within the healthcare system are aware of the burden of sepsis and ask other questions and investigate other aspects. Is the time to antibiotics and the time to source control appropriate or it is hampered because of communication issues or lack of specific set of rules between different sectors, for example, emergency department and ICU or the surgical department? How long does it take to get a microbiological response after a sample is collected? And more importantly, is the primary care sector included in the pathway? We are in Italy uh, having three regional healthcare systems, Lombardy, Emilia-Romagna and Tuscany, under the input of the clinical risk manager, collaborating in order to define a common framework for the sepsis pathway, which is articulated, articulated in three steps, identification, diagnosis, and treatment. The objective of this endeavor is to trigger the sepsis pathway regardless of the starting point, being it, being it obstetrics, medical ward, or patient home. All over the national healthcare system because everyone can develop organ dysfunction following an infection. And we also identified a common algorithm for extracting ICD codes and assess mortality, and the rate is already available for, Lombard, for Lombardy and soon for Tuscany as well. We are also in the process of defining e-learning units for a training toolbox for the healthcare workers in order to support the implementation of the sepsis pathway. Then let's move on to opportunity number two, using the human factors approach for enabling healthcare workers in order to think out of the box, in order to diagnose sepsis, the attention to weak signals is crucial. And by using simulation, it's possible to train professionals in acquiring the weak signals from the environment, give them a meaning, and use them to take action. As you know, 
Simulation is a validating learning method for enhancing situational awareness in emergency depart department, but can be really useful also in the medical world if we consider that in Europe, 50.5% of EQ sepsis came from the medical world. And let's move on to opportunity number three, that is teamwork and communication. These are two elements crucial in the fight against sepsis because different professionals from different disciplines and different teams need to cooperate in order to identify and treat sepsis. And such cooperation needs to be based on shared mental models, mutual trust, and closed-loop communication. To synthesize the human factor ergonomics approach, on the, on the healthcare systems could be really useful because can support in the fight against sepsis by developing initiatives and tools targeting three different kinds of actors, the single professionals, the groups, and the overall organization. For example, let's take the sepsis pathway. It should become the common cultural ground at the organizational level, management, but also other intermediate levels. These need to be embodied in the actual practices of the healthcare teams through participatory approach leading to job redesign. Sepsis pathway is then facilitated at the operational level by individuals who are aware of the situation and by designing tools and systems which enhance human skills. For example, by facilitating the selection of standard laboratory test palettes for suspected infection or predefined sets of empirical antibiotic therapy according to local epidemiology and suspected source of infection. And in order to fight sepsis, we all need to be part of a global network like the Global Sepsis Alliance for sharing knowledge, sharing approach, and best practice applied somewhere else which can be uh, uh, become appropriate. So in conclusion, human factors are really a resource in the fight against sepsis because have the potentials to enhance organizational capabilities for fighting sepsis. Networking and collaboration across disciplines and systems is the success factor. And in order to fight sepsis, we have to change our organizations. And in order to change our organization, we have to change the way of working. And in order to change the way of working, we have to change ourselves. Thank you for your attention. Thank you, Giulio, for your presentation. There is a question for you. What do you think uh, of the role, uh, the role of multidisciplinarity is uh, indeed in fighting sepsis? What do you think? I think that the role of multidisciplinarity is crucial. It should be embodied from the start in the design of the sepsis pathway. I move to next presentation. Vida Hamilton. Vida Hamilton graduated from Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland and started training in anesthesia. She trained in intensive care medicine in the Australia and returned to Ireland to complete specialist training and join 
University Hospital Waterford Ice Consultant working in anesthesia and intensive care. Dr. Vida Hamilton is an honorary senior lecturer, Royal College of Surgeon in Ireland, tutor in anesthesia for the College of Anesthetists of Ireland and uh, joint faculty of intensive care medicine in Ireland and council member in intensive care society and European society in intensive care. Vida Hamilton, the presentation of Vida Hamilton is the Irish approach to reduce sepsis death. Please, Vida. Thank you for the kind introduction. Like many uh, quality improvement programs, the Irish uh, program started with a uh, patient story. In 2013, the investigation into the untimely death of a patient from sepsis identified failure to recognize the severity of illness, failure to recognize deterioration, and ineffective communication as contributory factors, and recommended that there be mandatory training for all healthcare professionals in the recognition and management of sepsis. So the Minister of Health um, asked the Health Services Executive to put together a committee to effect this recommendation. And at its first meeting, the National Sepsis Steering Committee decided to develop a national clinical guideline that was based on existing published evidence-based guidelines, but adapted to the existing resources of the Irish healthcare system, as we were tasked to be budget neutral and to use existing databases. And we're very grateful for the support of the Surviving Sepsis Campaign, the UK Sepsis Trust, the Sepsis Kills Programme, and indeed, Professor Kevin Rooney in Scotland, our external uh, advisor. As part of that work, we looked at the burden of sepsis in Ireland. And looking at the 2013 data with our administrative database, we were able to identify that 60% of all hospital deaths had a sepsis or infection diagnosis, complicating that uh, terminal um, admission. There were just under 9,000 patients diagnosed with sepsis, and they occupied nearly a quarter of a million dead days, uh, with 110,000 patients with an infection diagnosis occupying over a million bed days. So 42% of the total bed stock were occupied by patients with either infection or sepsis, and that increased up to 60% in, uh, in the tertiary uh, referral hospitals. Uh, with the severity um, adjustment, looking at patients with a sepsis diagnosis admitted to a critical care area, uh, we were able to assess that our mortality rate, in-hospital mortality rate, was 28.8%. Not dissimilar to the results of the 2014 IMPRESS trial, where they found mortality rates of 28% in Europe. But amongst those patients, those who received bundle-compliant care had a mortality rate of 20%, and those who did not had a 30% mortality rate. And that benchmarked the Irish mortality rate, I think, quite clearly. The average length of stay was increased up to fivefold uh, with a sepsis diagnosis and doubled uh, with an infection diagnosis. And our incidence of, uh, of uh, sepsis is increasing year on year. So in 2014, the national guideline was published and it was accompanied by an implementation program. So a series of site visits by the national sepsis team occurred to all hospitals within the state, um, 
giving uh, sepsis education and awareness presentations, but also meeting with the hospital and management teams. Because within our guidelines, we have roles and responsibilities assigned from the Ministry of Health through the healthcare executive. Uh, through the health services executive and also the hospital management boards and down to and through to clinicians. Our program is primarily aimed at early recognition and early management in the emergency department and on the ward. And with that we have developed two time dependent algorithms to facilitate recognition. The pink sepsis algorithm is to support our Manchester triage system, which isn't a particularly sensitive method of picking up patients presenting with sepsis. Uh, this algorithm has been assessed to have a specificity of greater than 90%. Our patients on the ward are monitored on a, a national early warning uh, scoring system, and if that uh, scoring system is elevated, they are required to be reviewed by a junior doctor within 30 minutes. As part of that review, if infection is suspected to be the cause of the deterioration, sepsis screening is recommended. And once sepsis is diagnosed, the sepsis 6 is delivered within one hour. Our sepsis screening form has a dual function. One, to support uh, clinicians in uh, making accurate diagnosis, uh, correct treatment, and correct risk stratification and appropriate escalation to critical care, but also to improve uh, documentation of sepsis, severe sepsis and septic shock um, for our database. Along with this, we ran a series of five sepsis workshops for coders uh, to uh, improve uh, coder awareness and education on sepsis, to familiarize them with the form and also to set up pathways for any queries that arise uh, from lack of clarity in the patient case notes. We also uh, developed a fluid resuscitation algorithm to support the initial fluid resuscitation, which is delivered by non-intensive care clinicians who may not be so familiar with uh, fluid resuscitating patients. It's based on a bolus and assess uh, method. We received nice accreditation, and we had our first National Sepsis Summit in July um, of 2015. The aim of that summit was twofold, to raise awareness among senior clinicians, but also to task them to return to their hospitals and set up uh, hospital sepsis committees and appoint local sepsis champions. And we're very grateful to our patient representatives. In particular, you may recognize Mr. Kieran Staunton from the picture, um, who uh, ensured a very successful uh, summit and a very successful response to the summit. Our second summit in November um, was uh, targeted at the members of the hospital sepsis committees and once again had two aims. One, to ensure that the uh, committees had been set up in all the acute hospitals and indeed we had representation from every acute hospital in the state, but also to give the early adopters the opportunity to showcase the work they had done and to discuss with more reluctant um, members of the audience the barriers and enablers uh, that they have identified uh, so far. Along with our hospital site uh, education um, program, we also discussed with the medical and nursing schools and the postgraduate bodies to ensure that their curricula was compliant with the national guideline. Um, and indeed, they were very enthusiastic in their support uh, uh, for that change. 
We have developed a sepsis e-learning program, which will be mandatory for all healthcare professionals. It's due to be launched in September the 20th this year at our third summit, um, and a key performance indicator for 2017 will be the 100% compliance uh, by all healthcare uh, professionals by the end of, of that year. Our um, incidence of sepsis is continuing uh, to con uh, increase. But our crude mortality rate for sepsis is static over the past five years. We um, are demonstrating an increase of mortality with age. And we're also able to demonstrate that there's very poor documentation of severe sepsis in the case notes. So in order to severely assess um, our patients with a sepsis diagnosis, uh, we need to look at the subgroup of patients admitted to a critical care area. Uh, contributing to that poor documentation um, is a variability of understanding of uh, what is the definition of sepsis uh, amongst doctors with an even split uh, looking um, at the, the sepsis 2 definition and the sepsis 3 definition. When uh, we age uh, stratify our uh, mortality rates, we note that uh, the mortality rate starts to increase um, and the patients hit the cohort age group between 35 and 44 years of age with a mortality rate hitting 15% for those admitted to the uh, critical care area. And this is uh, an important driver for, for the program because in Ireland, the acute mortality rate for um, acute myocardial infarction is 6.4%. So when you're between the age group of 35 and 44 and admitted to a critical care area with sepsis, you have more than doubled the mortality of patients who present with acute myocardial infarction. Interestingly, with the introduction of the time-dependent uh, pathways for AMI, there's been a decrease in the past 10 years of, uh, in mortality of 40% and a decrease of 13.6% with the time-dependent pathways for the management of ischemic stroke. But despite the incidence of sepsis being considerably higher and the mortality rates being considerably higher, um, those uh, mortality rates have not changed. And I think this is an important driver for the introduction of a time-dependent pathways for sepsis management. We've also done some uh, compliance uh, analysis, um, uh, hospital by hospital. So every hospital in the state has had a chart review audit done by our national sepsis team. And this is an example of one group report that's submitted back to the hospital uh, group leaderships. So the population that was studied were patients with, who presented with an infection diagnosis. Our auditor um, assessed those uh, case notes to identify patients who fulfilled criteria for sepsis according to our national guideline, then looked at the sepsis management. Was there compliance with the screening form? And we have shown an increase in compliance with the use of the form over the six, first six months of this year. We have uh, found that sepsis diagnosis accuracy is increased with the use of the form at 87%, whereas when a sepsis screening form is not used, uh, diagnostic accuracy is only 
We've also found a positive impact on time to first dose antimicrobial therapy when the sepsis screening form is used and indeed the percentage of patients who receive first dose antimicrobials within 60 minutes is increased with the use of the form. We have a number of other projects ongoing. Our paramedic pathway is now operational. We have a maternity pilot in progress and a pediatric sepsis form in development. Our pediatric sepsis 6 bundle is already operational and is used in association with the pediatric early warning scoring system. Just started, we are in discussion with our primary care colleagues, the general practitioners, nursing homes, and prison services, looking to develop early recognition and referral pathways. In 2017, we will have our first guideline update, and in that guideline, we will be addressing the issues with the change in definition of sepsis to sepsis 3. We have already started a pilot of our sepsis 3 sepsis screening form in one site, and we have that form with our uh, coders to try and address uh, the existing coding issues uh, associated with the new definition. We have um, some preliminary results of our sepsis awareness in the community, but the final data will be uh, it won't be available till later this uh, month, but approximately 55% of the general public have heard of the term sepsis, and this increases to 75% with the prompt of blood poisoning, and this would be higher than um, other jurisdictions that, that have published on sepsis awareness. Um, interestingly, though, the severity of sepsis is not appreciated. Heart attack was universally perceived as having the highest mortality by members of the community. But thankfully, uh, amongst the medical fraternity, there is recognition that sepsis has a higher mortality rate. I'd like to... Um, extend my thanks to the National Sepsis team for all the work they're doing, particularly in the audit and the work that they will be doing into the future, um, but most especially thank the um, members of the local hospital sepsis teams and the local sepsis champions who are indeed are the effectors of our um, national guideline. Thank you. Thank you, Vida, for your presentation. There are a couple of questions for you. Will the e-learning model be available for the use by facility outside of Ireland? And uh, I say why you think is necessary to be mandatory. And the second question is, according to your study, are there some data concerning the diagnosis according to the group age? Well, to um, address your first question about the e-learning program, yes, uh, it will be available outside of the country. Um, the issuing of a certificate of completion uh, will only be available within the country, but, but actually uh, doing the uh, program, it certainly will be open access. In terms of the um, mandatory nature of it, there is a, a big problem with the, the perception reality gap um, amongst clinicians. Um, there are reluct people reluctant um, to use guidelines. They feel that it uh, reduces their clinical independence, that no sooner are guidelines um, published than they become outdated. And... Um, and therefore, they, they inhibit the progression of medicine. 
we've tried to avoid this by <clears throat> introducing a, a, an update every three years um, and also to introduce a lot of clinical variability within our sepsis screening form. So it's there to support the clinician rather than to uh, replace clinical uh, judgment. And I think it's important uh, for the um, the program to be mandatory um, in order just to have a baseline increase in our um, awareness and education of sepsis. Going to uh, hospitals and providing sepsis presentations depends on people turning up to them. In terms of our data, um, yes, using administrative data is not without its complications. Uh, we try to address that by um, with the use of the sepsis screening form, improving the quality of uh, documentation in the notes, and also uh, with our sepsis workshops to um, improve the, um, the ensure that there would be accurate coding. Um, does that uh, answer the question? Yeah. Thank you, Vida. Uh, we move to the last presentation. We move on to the last presentation by Daniel Schwarzkopf. Uh, barrier to change in, in uh, barrier to change. Lesson learned in Germany. Uh, Daniel Schwarzkopf is a psychologist with specialization in uh, organizational work psychology. Is a research associating the German Quality Network Sepsis, a project of the Center for Sepsis Control and Care at the University Hospital Oyena. He had a long experience with the Medusa study that is very important uh, uh, basis uh, for this presentation. Please, uh, uh, Daniel. Yeah, thank you, Giorgio. I hope everybody can hear me. I feel very honored to speak here. And yeah, I want to talk to you about barriers to change that we encountered when trying to improve uh, the quality of sepsis treatment in Germany and also the lessons we learned from this. And I started working in this field six years ago when I became part of the team of Konrad Reinhardt in the Medusa study. And this study was a uh, cluster randomized trial with the aim to reduce time to antimicrobial therapy and thereby to reduce 28-day mortality. We had 20 uh, hospitals in an intervention group and 20 in a control group, and for two years we tried to improve the quality in the intervention group by using methods of change management, by having local quality improvement teams, by having a complex benchmark and quality reporting, and also by using counseling by trained change facilitators. And in the control group, we had just some standard education sessions and the newsletter. Um, our benchmark was quite complex, and we used uh, patient chart reviews to uh, gather the data and, for example, measured median time to antimicrobial therapy and had a quite big variety between the participating hospitals. And, yeah, what did we uh, achieve? Sadly, we did not achieve a lot. Uh, mortality was higher in the, in, in the intervention group from beginning due to a randomization problem, and um, we were not able to decrease it in the 
two years intervention. Also, we were not able to increase the percent of patients receiving the antimicrobial therapy within the first hour. At least we had a little success in uh, increasing the percent of patients um, where more than two or at least two sets of blood cultures were taken. And we believe this was uh, based on a quite simple but straightforward intervention by bundling the blood cultures. So in sum, we have um, done a lot. We uh, had a great effort but achieved little. And um, we tried to understand this, and we did uh, interviews with uh, change team leaders. We, did, we developed questionnaires for the QI teams, and we also had questionnaires for the facilitators. And, uh, for example, we had uh, um, questionnaires for the QI teams, and they reported they were uh, quite satisfied with the support by the study team. They were satisfied with the benchmark data. They experienced their change team as having a good working culture, but we found that the support by leadership was lacking. And uh, it was hard for the chain, for the QI teams to have frequent communication and the most severe problem they had, too little time to do the work. And some other barriers, we did it as a bottom-up project. So the intervention was driven by the intensivist departments. We had no systematic involvement of the hospital management. So this is why we believe we had these lacking time resources for QI teams. We had lacking support by some department heads. We had a failure to achieve cooperation with the colleagues from other departments, especially from the normal wards. And we saw in the speeches by Harvey and, and Kevin how, how important it is to start at the normal ward. And uh, we have general staff shortage, and we had a low degree of self-initiative by some QI teams and lacking influence in the hospital. And what we believe is one of the most severe problems, we had incomplete and delayed documentation of cases with sepsis, especially in smaller hospitals that did not have specialized study personnel. Um, also, we found in this big data set we gathered that we have uh, a lack in uh, treatment quality. Only 36% of patients received the first uh, antibiotics within the first hour, and at the same time, every hour delay is associated with a 2% increase in mortality. And um, also, we saw that every hour of delay in surgical uh, source control is uh, associated with a 1% uh, increase in 28-day modality. So it is highly important to improve quality. And as uh, Harvey and also Kevin showed, it is possible to improve it. And uh, where are we now? What have we learned from this? We, Konrad um, uh, Reinhardt has... Um, founded the German Sepsis Quality Network, and we started early this year. We now have 20, uh, 72 participating hospitals with 22 university hospitals, and also the five biggest um, hospital groups in Germany are involved. And we did a lot to assure commitment of the hospital management. We had a contract that has to be signed by the hospital board um, they are committed to co-financing the project with an annual fee, and also they are committed to publish their own uh, quality data, the risk-adjusted hospital mortality of cases with sepsis, after two years of participation. The second uh, thing that we um, 
did was rely on routine data. Relying on routine data for measuring quality has a long tradition in the United States, I would say, since the end of the 80s, 1980s. And um, Medicare Hospital Compare is the biggest project on this and have developed a really elaborated uh, methodology with uh, a risk adjustment for many quality indicators. But to our knowledge, uh, this uh, methodology has not been applied to sepsis yet. So we use the routine data by the participating uh, the administrative data of uh, patients with sepsis coded, and uh, we get quarterly export of this data, and um, it's less than one hour to get this data. So it's really no effort for the participating hospitals. We developed a risk model um, using routine data of all German hospitals. It's a big national nationwide uh, data set. And this risk model is then applied to the data we gather from the participating hospitals in the quality network. And um, there we can uh, calculate the adjusted mortality quality indicators. Um, we um, found um, quite good validity of our uh, risk model with an area under the curve of above Point eight, and um, compared to another uh, model developed in the U.S. this year, we also have a better ability to um, explain or to to uh, explain the, uh, the the mortality risk also in the high risk groups. So we believe we have a quite valid way to uh, adjust the differences in patient risks between the participating hospitals. And um, our interventional strategy focuses on two approaches uh, where we heavily rely on what others did, as Harvey showed, the uh, um, CEC between the FLAGS initiative. We want to prevent patients from going down this slippery slope by early detection and treatment on the normal ward. We have developed uh, an algorithm by adapting uh, existing pathways, and um, it will be done by nurses on the ward who will do a really short and simple screening of all patients. They have decision paths, when to involve the doctor, what data together to give to the doctor, uh, to the physician, and also when to involve the intensivists for our counsel and, uh, and so on. And we uh, have a clearly structured education and implementation strategy for this, and we will start uh, in the next months to, to start this implementation. And our second approach is an analysis of individual cases. Here we rely on our risk model and look at the individual expected mortality risk for each case and then look, um, uh, analyze other preventable deaths, meaning uh, 
deaths, uh, uh, although the risk was predicted to be low, we can analyze over and under coding in the routine data and thereby improve quality of the routine data, analyze cases with best practice. We will have an external peer review that will also rely on this uh, case analysis. And we uh, try to implement all this using existing structures in the hospitals like existing mortality and morbidity conferences. So to sum it up, what are our most important learnings that we now try to um, do in the in the uh, quality network? Um, do what others did successfully. Rely on published and validated interventional strategies. Do it top-down and bottom-up. That means you need a strong commitment of hospital management, what uh, Harvey named governance in his speech. We also believe this is highly important and we try to achieve it. Rely on existing QI structures. Timely discuss cases that received poor quality of care. We believe this is highly important to achieve motivation and engagement by the staff. And choose committed uh, QI team leaders who have influence in their hospitals. So, this is the end of my speech, and I thank you for your interest. Thank you, Daniel, for your presentation. I have a question for you. Medusa trial gave you the opportunity to know barriers and facilitator for change. On ground, and what, in your opinion and experience of this long experience, the most important barrier to change, the most important facilitator to change? I believe the most important barrier that we had in the Medusa trial was a lack of resources and this uh, kind of um, bottom up approach. We had change teams who had lacking time resources and who had lacking, um, let's say, support from the whole hospital. So this was the greatest barrier. And the greatest facilitator, in my opinion, is when you have a really engaged QI team with a really engaged leader and you have a culture in the hospital that is open for discussion of errors and for for quality improvement across departments. And we had some smaller hospitals who had this culture who, who had a really great success. And we also, which was interesting, we had a, a, a military hospital participating who also, which also had a great success. And we believe this was part of the culture where you had, um, yeah, clear leadership and commitment of all departments. Yeah, I think this uh, is at the core the greatest barrier and the greatest facilitator. Thank you, Daniel. Be before ending this uh, session of this extraordinary World Congress on sepsis, I want to stress to all the audience all over the world to become a supporter Sign the War Sepsis Declaration everywhere you can, on Facebook, on, on all the, uh, the um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, but sign the War Sepsis Declaration and become a supporter. Thank you to all speakers and to the audience uh, to have followed this session. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening, and thanks to everybody who made this possible, especially our sponsors, which you can find on the Congress website. We will continue with the session on novel adjunctive sepsis therapies in clinical trials on March the 3rd. Until then. Fail, fail, fail.